0: The work of an entire marketing team with little or no pay. The visual stimulation was there. The visual stimulation, but didn't say anything. But not the intellectual
1: stimulation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My ideal scenario was to come up with a
0: price like five different ways. Okay, let's go full consumer now. And I'm going to tell a story. From Orion X, this is the marketing podcast. Marketing has transformed in significant ways. More technology, more data, more social, more blending of arts and sciences, more integrated with every other function, and ultimately, more critical to the organization. Join Shaheen Khan and Doug Garnett as they discuss news and happenings in the world of marketing, from the boardroom to customer programs.
1: Hi all, we're back with another episode of the Marketing Podcast. This is Shaheen Khan with Doug Garnett. How are you, Doug? I'm good, Shaheen, and you? All right. Not too bad. What are we going to talk about? There were a bunch of Twitter streams that seemed very, very appealing.
0: Well, here's the one I want to start with. I love this comment. So when it came out a few days ago, somebody says, companies hiring social media managers and expecting them to do photography, videography, graphic design, copywriting, brand strategy, monitor metrics, host YouTube, make TikTok dances. The work of an entire marketing team with little or no pay. Now, I replied to it with, isn't that what an intern does? And a few <laughs>, laughs out of that, so. Um, but I do think we have a problem here that people hire, you know, don't not knowing what it takes to do some of these things, hire one person and expect all this stuff out of them. So right, anyway. Yeah.
1: So my response to it was authenticity. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that all these expectations were placed mm-hmm. on this task, where the whole point of Social media was supposed to be authenticity, and authenticity is code for, politely put, no production values. Mm -hmm. It's not going to necessarily look good or be polished. So what happened to that? Is it the case that the expectations have now risen
0: such that you do demand high production values? Yes, I think actually there is some of that. As with any technology, as technology moves in, we become more sophisticated consumers of it, and therefore our expectations of it rise even if the expectation is for it to be authentic Um, I think that our definition of what is authentic changes over time so we want it to be authentically really polished yeah (laughs) that's right we want it to be be produced in a perfectly authentic way But first, I do want to note that my son, who is in graphic design and all these things, an excellent videographer and uh, director of photography, has fought this problem, too, that he goes out to look for jobs and they want a graphic designer who writes. Well, you know, those are kind of like the opposite ends of the world. And there are a great many graphic designers who are um, maybe incredibly dyslexic. And so they are not good proofers of their own Mm -hmm. writing even. And there's a lot of things you have to know about how these things work. And companies just kind of bulldoze their way through it and assuming, well, I need to get these people. But there's that. I think the authenticity question is interesting because I've seen authentically produced stuff that seemed faker than, you know, You can imagine. And, well you know, that's
1: the that's the famous saying that if you can fake authenticity you've got it made
0: <laughs> yeah that's right well these weren't these weren't faked into authenticity they were uh, unfaked and therefore felt un- inauthentic uh-huh. <laughs> um, and you know sometimes for some very simple things that somebody who'd produced a lot of video would know about for I, mean, I saw a video from Starbucks for how to run their one of their um, espresso machines and it was like 20 uh-huh. years ago and they'd taken this guy who i think probably was a pretty good actor and they put him against a wall and he has a machine in front of him and he talks you through the script for how to run a machine. And what you never see are cutaways for close-ups or any of those kinds of things that I would have ordinarily put into it. What you I realized about five minutes into it is I hate this guy. I just hate this guy. And what's interesting about it is it wasn't actually him that was the problem. Huh. The problem was that he was on screen the whole damn time. I see. And so I was getting really tired of his presentation when I wanted to see other things. Hmm. I wanted to see a close-up of how do you fill the, you know, the espresso uh, good cups and how do you adjust this or that? And every time he'd refer to something like that, there was no cutaway. There was no close-up. There was no, it wasn't good instruction. And so that was one that was actually probably they thought they were being really authentic. Just have this guy explain it. And well, in the end, okay, I ended up hating okay. him,
1: you know? Okay, so there is such a thing as bad authentic. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. but, but I would have thought that authentic in his case would mean that he actually is holding his phone right? and he is pointing yeah. it to what he's doing and his, or maybe somebody is doing that. But they're pointing it to him and they're pointing to it and they're changing and maybe it's a little shaky, but it's mm-hmm. okay and maybe the audio is not perfect and it's okay, mm-hmm. but the communication. So that maybe really is the is the, is the message is that as long as the communication is effective, maybe some yeah. of the other stuff don't
0: matter. Well, I think that, that is true. I think people come to a video or come to your social media or come to your TikTok expecting what they expect. And if you deliver on what they expect, that's what matters. And yeah, yeah. You know, I think in a way the, the challenge I've always had with authenticity is it's kind of an arbitrary thing. <laughs> and, What is authenticity? Well, it depends on the circumstances, I think, of what people come to. You know, in this case, I came to this video to learn how to operate our machine, and it didn't do it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, you know, my thought also was that maybe you can find someone who happens to be good at most of those skills, such a broad spectrum of skills, but you're not going to find them often they're not going to be cheap and if they are that they're not going to last a long time because they're going to be discovered and they're going to be promoted and you know they're destined for greatness if you are good at all of those man you're not going to want to do social media for you
0: for too long yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) pretty soon they're going to be in hollywood yeah this kind of list shows that they're looking for superhero type of uh person running their social media. And if they get it, it'll be short term. Yeah, And I mean, what I want to make clear is that I don't have a problem with the idea that having a social media manager may require compromises in all those areas. You know, we don't need perfect video. We don't need perfect graphic design. We don't need perfect this or that. The challenge always in marketing communication is deciding where you need mm-hmm. it to be perfected. You know, you mentioned production values at the agency where I started my career in consumer goods, my comment, uh, my summation of what they did is, they would do A grade production with C minus grade communication. Ah. And uh, you know, so much though that I sent a video one of our one of our ads off to a woman who was a specialist in the area, and she watched it with her three year old daughter, and she said her three year old daughter sat there glued to the screen. But when the ad turned off, the woman, my friend, couldn't remember a thing that was said. And that's an illustration of perfect production, but no communication. Yeah, you know, yeah. it, it enraptured the three-year-old because it was moving, it was color, and it was just all that stuff that makes it just really great production value. The visual stimulation was there. The visual stimulation, but didn't say anything. But not the intellectual stimulation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is right to say that there is a tension between authenticity and production values in the way that a lot of people think of production value. So that company had a real problem that they would want to film testimonials in these weird angles, like they're sitting on stairs and the camera's slightly dutched and shooting up at them. Mm-hmm. And it feels so fake that I did a lot of research with that stuff. And people know that that's not how real people get interviewed. And
1: well, I think that's a danger of too much production values. Is that if you yeah. if you make that a priority, then it comes mm-hmm. across like everything else wasn't a priority.
0: Yeah,
1: we talked about value in a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, and mm-hmm. how you can define and project value, and that was right relevant to one of the four P's. We talked about them last episode, and
0: yeah, the one mm-hmm. that
1: we should probably drill down into is price, because that's supposed mm-hmm. to be the quantization of value. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about price as one of the important P's and okay. link it to value. Well, Not a bad segue, was it?
0: <laughs> no, that was, that was nice. I like that. Um, let me back up just slightly. Uh-huh. What I'm beginning to teach in my classes is that we have features, we have benefits, and we have the value of the product to the customer. And that I separate and add this third thing, which is value, because my experience is features and benefits don't necessarily summarize value. And, you know, so what would I be talking about in terms of value? Well, last term with students, I uh, started them off on consumer behavior, looking at a John Deere tractor. and I said, you know, what would be you know, the important values? You guys know nothing about John Deere tractors with what the value of a John Deere tractor would be until I said, all right, suppose you've owned it for three months and you like it. What would you be telling me about it? And they said, oh, well, I'm getting my work done. Um, I can repair it easily because everybody around here also owns John Deere's. And, you know, all of a sudden they start talking about these things that are much more human. And they nailed this bigger sense of value that's beyond simply, well, it has a new reverse gear or, you know, the seat's comfortable or, you know, those kind of things. And I thought it was a really interesting way to say, OK, suppose you've owned it for three months. What do you get? Long way to say what a value is. I know that. Okay, for, so for listeners, that's it. Um, now, we've moved to price. And the first thing I recommend on pricing is that you go determine the price based on the value you deliver to customers. What is the right price for the value you deliver to customers? That's where all pricing should start. And that just seems to me really fundamental as a marketer But I'm not sure that it's very universal for people to do that. What are you thinking? So my experience is in the B2B space. And uh,
1: my ideal scenario, I don't think we got to do it ever in the ideal way. But I always wanted to. And we put Mm. dents towards it. Was to come up with a price like five different ways. Mm -hmm. And one of them, of course, is value. You start with value. And that comes back to why did we do this product at all? What, mm-hmm. what value were we trying to project? Now, some value is cost savings. The customer saves money by using your product. And mm-hmm. you could say, okay, we can split the difference. You just saved a million dollars. Maybe my you know product is half a million and you can pocket mm-hmm. the other half a million and we roll ahead. One of them is the revenue gain. You use my product and you can double your revenue and maybe I mm-hmm. can get a piece of that. The other one, like you said, is ease or comfort or some other intangible. So there are kind of intangible values that you want to quantify. Mm -hmm. Then how do you project that value effectively? So that means your sales training. And sometimes the value is strategic. Sometimes it's fear of missing out. I see that Mm -hmm. a lot with super advanced technology where customers don't know whether or not they need it, but what if they do? Mm -hmm. So they don't want to be... Caught off guard. So they're okay investing money and put a lot of I before there's an R, and the return can be elusive. So that's kind of one part. Uh, The other part is the cost. How much does it cost us to produce this? And that cost is not constant. For example, Mm -hmm. we used to do pricing based on in quarters and out quarters. And the out quarters is when our production capacity would ramp up, and we would basically have initial price and steady state price. Mm -hmm. So we knew that within six months, we could cut price by 15% and keep the same margin because our Mm -hmm. manufacturing costs would be lower by then. Mm -hmm. The next important thing was availability. What's the lead time to a product? Uh, We had negative lead time with some of our products. We used to sell Mm -hmm. capacity on demand products where the capacity was pre-shipped to the customer without them buying it yet. Mm -hmm. But when they were ready to buy it, it was instant. Like cloud computing Mm -hmm. does that these days. But it could be a very long lead time. Right now with supply chains and the computer market, Mm -hmm. the lead time for some components is like about a year. So Mm -hmm. completely different analysis. If you have to wait a year to get something, Mm -hmm. you're probably going to look for alternatives and see if you can make do with another thing. Mm -hmm. And do you build to stock or do you build to order how customized is the system? Mm-hmm. Is it a fixed configuration? Is it a variable configuration? And all of the things that, you know, you and I did years ago when, when you were part of that
0: business. Right, right. Here's a question. Price can be this incredibly complex balance of all of those things. You know, in your fighting challenges sometimes of if it's built in there and all you need to do is turn the switch on, access it. Um, a lot of times they don't perceive that as being so valuable to them. You know, so you get less money for it sometimes. I don't know. Is that possible? Or, you know, are you able to always get what you should when the capability is already built in but has to be enabled? It's a question. Maybe that brings
1: up another dimension, and that's you mentioned in your uh, intro competition. Mm-hmm. What are the alternatives available in the market? Mm-hmm. Are there any alternatives? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for some components, for some elements of the configuration, you do have options. Mm-hmm. You have some flexibility. Right. With some, you don't, and you're stuck, and you really have to mm-hmm. change the requirements to be able to fix it yeah and of course what does competition charge for their product Mm -hmm. and what is your competitive strategy is your strategy to gain market share or wallet share or profitability if you're a challenger, mm-hmm. what's your strategy to compete with the incumbent? Do you want to be mm-hmm. a premium product or a low-cost product? So that leads to what is your uh, margin target? Are you trying to be cost plus or are you trying to maximize margin? Mm-hmm. So what I like to do in the old days was to do these prices at least two or three different ways, like get a yeah. lower, mm-hmm. upper, and a middle. Mm-hmm. And that would give me a feel for where you really want to be in here for now, mm-hmm. and then six months from now, you would reevaluate.
0: So let me throw a, a hypothetical on the table. When we were selling back in the supercomputer days, one of our values for engineers, one which I used a lot in, in selling, was that a good computer would free them up to do science. So that instead of them having to spend all their time figuring out how to run the damn computer and get 10% science, 90% how do I run the computer... It would free them up to flip that maybe to 75% science, 25% running the computer. And that was a very attractive value I found to people. So that still is an issue today, even though the computers are different, the situation's different, scientists still are faced with the problems of, oh, God, I've got to go figure out the system instead of being able to do the scientific investigation I want to do. And that applies in companies. How do you price with something like that? as your value. I guess that's where I'm kind of, you know, thinking, okay, this is where I start from Though is back to what's that value to somebody?
1: Yeah, I think in the example you provided, you'd already done the hard work, Mm -hmm. which is to find what the proper metric is. Mm -hmm. And if the proper metric is how many papers I write per year, Mm -hmm. and how much compute power do I need to do that, and how much time do I need to do that, then you can use that metric as A presentation of value, right? You've already Mm -hmm. figured out what represents value. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that if you're trying to sell to Google, it'd be searches per second, for example, because that's what they do. And if Mm -hmm. you can say that I can do more searches per second at half the price, maybe you'll get their attention, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that is an important part that is very difficult to do if you don't have a big enough market segment in front Mm -hmm. of you and you can Right. And of course, many people don't even do the analysis. They don't do the research. They don't try to find out exactly. Mm -hmm. This is what I refer to, by the way, as part of buying behavior, Mm -hmm. is that what is important to me and how do I go about buying it, etc. So, yeah, that to me is the key metric.
0: Okay, let's go full consumer now. And I'm going to tell a story about some friends of mine. They found a company named The M Group. Uh, They're out of Wisconsin and they're doing consumer products they're advising uh clients and then beginning to work on bringing out their own consumer products Friend of them comes one by one day has about a foot and a half of pipe insulation that foam pipe insulation that you put around like copper piping and all that stuff like a a
1: pool noodle
0: (laughs) yeah kind of like a pool noodle with a slice in it so you can put it around the pipe you know and he says hey i wanted to show this to you guys and they said, Oh, what is it? I guess I don't, I wasn't there, but uh, the sound, you know, what is it? And he says, well, I, I put it on my handle, of my lawnmower and lawnmower handles have gotten really uncomfortable because they keep taking stuff off of them to make them cheaper. And so I put it around and it's really comfortable. I love that. And so my friends, Dave and Jay looked at it and thought, Oh, we can see and they decided to kind of make it into a product. Now let's remember what they're dealing with. 12 cents worth of pipe wrap. Hmm. Here. Yeah, about 12 cents for that pipe wrap and the truth is any customer could go buy pipe wrap, cut it and put it on their lawnmower and achieve you know essentially the same thing. Mm. They priced it at five bucks and they sold millions. Mm. It was so popular in fact that a lot of hardware stores started put, installing it themselves. On people's in their repair shops for people who brought their lawnmowers in because then they would get their lawnmower back in better shape mm, than when it went mm, into the shop. Mm. So it was a really, you know, it was really great product sold for years. They tell all kinds of stories about it. But if you think about that difference, all right, add packaging and a few things onto it. Maybe you're looking at a thirty percent, 30 cent product and they're selling it at retail for five bucks that violates everything that would happen if the finance department priced it right? I mean if you finance if you get it the finance department look at back and say well how about a real retail uh, price of 99 cents. Right, um, right. And yet they sold millions of them. And I think the challenge I have with price these days is that price is a huge strategic advantage for people. Absolutely. If you look at it and ponder it and find out about your customers and what they want and thoroughly understand all these things. I mean, I think what you were talking about in terms of delays and timeliness, those are all values to people. And all of those fit in that pile of values of what is this worth to somebody and what should they be paying for? And um, I think that, uh, you know, it's just this tremendously potent thing. I'm a little bit frustrated these days because I think we have a lot of artificial pricing going on in the consumer marketplace where oh, the yeah. price of shipping and overnight shipping and things like that has gone away. And uh, Amazon did that. And Amazon did that because their investors were willing to allow them to lose more money. Not because it actually helped Amazon necessarily. It, it, I mean, it did. But it built an expectation that this thing, which is a premium, receiving your product overnight from a remote you know, warehouse, should be free. And I I have real serious problems with that and think that in the long run, we're going to regret that. So when Dave and Jay tell me about charging five bucks quite successfully at retail for this product that they, you know, maybe it's 30 cents to build it, I think that we should have more of those examples to keep reminding us that price is not a moral uh, topic. It simply is. And it's all part of things, you know. Well, at Um, the end, it is value,
1: like you said. And if it has that value to me, then I will gladly pay it. You know, Mm -hmm. an example I use for value is, you know, for anyone who's been close to a surgery or uh, something Mm -hmm. like that is the anesthetics. When you're in pain, the marginal cost of removing it, it, you know, it's not a a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, the elasticity of that demand curve is insane. Uh, And that's a value. Now- I think in situations like that, then the ethics of pricing can come in Mm -hmm. and you do have to worry about, okay, how much does it cost and what is it reasonable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: But but if you
1: can project value in a reasonable way that is acceptable to the customer, Mm -hmm. uh, then, yeah, that's, I think, the name of the game.
0: Yeah. I wonder how much of the pricing, the reason price is steaming off the table these days is it is where the reality of being a marketer comes to the fore, which is we're in this business to make money. And I see more and more stories of marketers who are uncomfortable with that. Uh, either they come from a you know certain political background that says, oh, this is horrible that we're making money. Or
1: well, anything. I think the question is how much money. I don't think anybody's arguing with we need to make enough money to stay in business and lead comfortable lives. And if you can do a little bit more than that, maybe that's fine, too. But then if it becomes sort of obscene amounts, then people might have a problem with it on their Based on their value system,
0: I I would I don't know that I agree with that, but I'm in a different world than you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. up here you hear things like there was a uh, um, you know an uproar over a uh, environmental issue, and somebody said, well, this company should be able to just simply install that five million dollars worth of subscribers. After all, they make eleven million dollars a year. Well, actually, their revenue. Is 11 million dollars a year? Really? They're probably making a, a million or less, you know, on that. But you know, let's suppose they're making a million. You're not talking about something they can do at the drop of a hat. And I think it's that lack of understanding that ends up getting picked up, certainly in the advertising world, because a lot of advertising because they don't actually want to have to do the numbers. Hmm. And a lot of people in advertising don't know much about how businesses run. And so there gets to be kind of a naive, well, if people are profitable based on our ad, we must have done something wrong kind of thing that runs as an undercurrent and we have to be careful about it. So I wonder if that has affected how little we hear about price, which is price is where it comes to the fore that we're in business to make money and that we want to be paid appropriately for what we deliver. And I think that maybe that's the hard point too, because that's in between, I want to bilk the world to become famously wealthy, and I want to starve while doing good things for people. You know, that middle ground Mm -hmm. of, I want to be paid fairly for what I do, is a tough one for a lot of people. That is a tough one.
1: And I think that's just a question of your value system, your culture, your social contract, on and on. And Mm -hmm. I think it's a definite complexity to bring
0: up your favorite topic. Yeah. So I know we're going just a touch long here today, but I do want to not get off of pricing without talking about that we have to recognize the things we can do that affect pricing. So for example, communication affects pricing. Sergio Simon, who is at Coca-Cola, um, I don't like everything he writes, but he wrote at one point in time that in the absence of meaning, consumers fall back on price. What that means is if they don't know why they should pay a higher price, then they're looking for the low price thing. Mm -hmm. But if you talk about your product and tell people why it's valuable, they'll pay more. Mm -hmm. Um, I was telling you ahead of time, you know, that I I did work with some cookware that we succeeded at $360 a set, but then I had a half hour of television communication behind it when they considered not having that communication behind it in the early days, it couldn't have been above $160. So the communication is what enabled $200 worth of price. Hmm. We forget that there are things which make a big swing in how valuable something is that it can go from not too much to a lot because we tell people why it's worth that. And, uh, I think, you you know, it's, it's, it's really hard. People forget that communication has that power. There
1: is no way to project value without proper communication. And I think that's yes. a big piece mm-hmm. of it. But also, the price itself is a big piece of the communication. There yes. was a saying some decades ago that your most important communication about a product is the price. Mm-hmm. Is that the moment people know the price, they start sort of placing you. Mm-hmm. in the hierarchy of things, in terms of what they expect from that price level.
0: What well, the, the, yeah, yeah it, it, a lot of people get, I think you get both a little lazy and get a little chicken and therefore fall back to low price. Not aware of how much that says about their product. That uh, And if the product is far above that level in quality to begin with, it won't stay there. Because if they're not getting enough money for it, they're going to have to start taking stuff out and make it a cheaper product, make it less well-made.
1: You know, the other thing I want to say about communication is the trust about claimed benefits and value. Uh, Uh Because one of the things that I'm observing in the market, especially now because of the times we live in and how people are getting used to exaggerations and digital mistrust is that you may make a claim that is absolutely valid, but people don't believe it. No. So they will go back to the other brand. They will actually pay more to get less because they mm-hmm. trust that more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helping established brands. And it makes it more difficult for new brands to provide sufficient evidence that their claims are, in fact, valid.
0: Well, you know, I think that you know, we're, we, you know, claims have gotten out of control with a lot of new brands. Um, I think, I, you know, actually I had a conversation with a friend earlier this week. Where I said I think too many people try to make claims, and I think one of the challenges we have is everybody, instead of describing what their product does, tends to run around making big claims. Well, you know, it's going to be twice as fast, is it? Well, all you know, it's like supercomputers. Is it mm-hmm. twice as fast? I don't know. Depends on how well this fits that machine, and there's a lot of variables. Yeah, but people tend to feel line. like they have to have a rigid claim in order to succeed. I'm rather proud that we haven't, I mean, a lot of the work I did, we never made a claim in that sense. I would send our scripts off to my lawyer and he'd read through them. He's like, it's well, just I, self-evident stuff. You know, I think by the, how the, the other thing
1: that, that, that you probably did is to have customer testimonials. Some of them. To show people, practitioners. Well, that's it. the thing is
0: we would show it in action a lot. And so people would see how does it work? What is it doing? And so, you know, where you could get in trouble was if we showed an action that wasn't legit or right. wasn't real. And right. if we were dealing with computers, well, that can happen in a computer because you can take the latest AMD chip and say, well, here's how it runs and be wrong. And that could be, you know, the wrong thing to do. But um, I think we get a little carried away in thinking we have to promise something big. And I don't know, Mm. maybe some of that comes because a lot of startup companies in trying to raise investment feel like they have to do that for investors, even though it's not critically important in the market. And there's a little bit of challenge I find with startups of moving between selling investors and selling customers, yeah, customers, right they're different things. They're very different things. Very different Do not things. confuse them. I mean, it's just, there are so many things involved with price. So many things it connects to. It is an incredibly complex, in the sense of complexity science, thing to work with. It's connected everywhere. And there are always emerging issues that are going to affect what how well a price works with. You know, we have to give it that kind of respect but i think it gets dismissed within the 4p's a little bit because we don't have a structure that is easy to simply say well let's go pick the price you know and deal with it like the other things
1: yeah that's absolutely right so we have to come back to evidence trust the difference between an actual use versus a demo and how authentic mm-hmm to use another word <laughs> is so and we will do those in the future episode with that let's conclude thank you thank you all for listening and until next time thank you Doug. until
0: next time that's it for this episode of the marketing podcast every episode is posted on orionx.net and shared on social media use the comments section or tweet us with any questions or to propose topics if you like the show rate and review it on apple podcasts or wherever you listen the Marketing Podcast is a production of Orion X. Thank you for listening.